Let us pray. Heavenly Father, teach us to love one another well, to love you, and to love our neighbors as, our, as ourselves, that in loving well, we would bear witness to you in this world. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be only acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. So at least one of you have, have told me that you love moose stories. For those of you who don't know who Moose is, he's our dog who is not named ironically, but you have to ask my wife about that one, who is all of 13 pounds. I think he's 13 pounds now. He's, he's bulking up. Um, <laughs> but Moose actually has a little bit of a sad story that, that, that happens before he met us. He was a rescue dog from Mexico, and one day we kind of decided, hey, let's see if we can find a picture of him on the rescue agency's website. And we found him finally after kind of shuffling through for a while. I was, I was bored that evening, if I actually confess what was going on. <clears throat> and, and I found a picture of him, and he, he looked, he had been shaved because he had dog dreadlocks and... Um, and all of that, and he just looked like he was absolutely terrified of the world. We don't, we don't really know much about what happened to Moose, but we, we pretty safely assume that he has a very sad story before he came to join us. We're pretty sure that he probably got kicked pretty good at least once or twice, and he was most likely abused by somebody, probably a man of mine or Daniel's built, given how he usually reacts to Daniel. <laughs> but over the last two years, or I've, I've known Moose for a year and a half now, but over the last two years that Julie has had Moose, we've seen a change in him. We've seen him go, and go from this skittish, terrified dog, this dog who, when Julie was in the bathroom, would come barking at me to make sure that I didn't try anything ridiculous, <laughs> to a dog who likes to cuddle with us, who loves to pet, and who generally loves most people that come over to the house, unless Julie's holding Lucy, in which case they are the greatest threat that has ever been on Earth. <laughs> the change that we've seen in Moose has been because we've given him a nurturing, ho nurturing home. Even when he does something bad and we scold him, we pet him right afterwards, and he knows that he's safe. The love that we've had for Moose has changed the silly little dog's life. <clears throat> There's no mistake that 1 Corinthians 13 was our reading this morning. 1 Corinthians 13 this morning, as we begin to enter into the season of Lent this week. That is because without love, Whatever Lenten discipline you choose to pursue, without love, that discipline is, as Paul says, a clanging gong. It is nothing. If we enter into these disciplines as rote disciplines, if we enter into these to think, make us think that we're better than everyone else, they're just a clanging gong. They are nothing. Paul has been writing to this Corinthian church, and he sees an incredible amount of dysfunction. 
Probably the best example comes from just a few chapter, a few verses before in the end of chapter 11 as he, as he exhorts them, as he, as he basically yells at them, scolds them for how they've behaved at the Lord's table, at Holy Communion or the Agape Feast. They've misused it. They've come to the table with divisions, with greed, and with drunkenness. Imagine for a moment, you come into church, and you have one group sitting over here and another group sitting over there, and they're both just glaring at each other through the whole whole service. And then they walk up to the Lord's table, take the body and blood of Christ, and go back to glaring at each other. The unity, the communion that we have with Christ and with one another would be ruined. Imagine if you went up to the Lord's supper table and you grabbed all the wafers out of my hand and ran back and ate them all for yourselves so nobody else could share in them or gulped the whole cup of wine. Not only would you misunderstand what's going on at the Lord's table, you would deprive your brothers and sisters of partaking in that. Or imagine if somebody came to church plastered already and then tried to drink the whole cup of wine. Our reaction to any of these things would be appalling. We would be appalled to see this. And yet this is what was happening at the Lord's table in Corinthians. Of course, there's a lot more that we'd have to understand if we were talking about that particular portion of 1 Corinthians. But the point is still the same. Instead of being unified at the Lord's table, instead of being unified when they came together, there were these divisions. They were greedy, and some of them were even drunk. And so we come to verse chapter 13. This beautiful chapter that we've probably all heard before, and please forgive me if you've used it in your wedding, but it isn't meant to be used in your wedding. It's a rebuke. It's saying, you have not loved. Let me show you what love is. You are nothing because of these divisions, this greediness, this selfishness that dwells within you. You must love one another. You can do a great thing. And he lists out great things, things that we can even desire for ourselves. But they weren't done in love in the Corinthian church. And he calls them nothing. So what is love? Every time I ask that question, I can't help but think of that early 90s pop song that as soon as I ask the question, if you know the song, it's probably now stuck in your head too. So you're welcome. (laughs) But our culture wrestles with this question of what is love. And oftentimes we reduce it to the most basis of definitions that it's some sort of emotion. But that's not what we're to believe as Christians. For the Christian, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7 is the definition that we act within. And we know this well. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own ways. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. 
Patience, my favorite definition of patience comes from this little Greek dictionary. Actually, it's a pretty big Greek dictionary. But it's, they define patience as tranquility while waiting. Doesn't that sound delightful? But think about even this morning, as we read our gospel lesson, what Christ is doing. Christ is telling his disciples what is about to happen, and the disciples were like, why are you being weird again, man? Like, stop talking about this death stuff. And of course, he doesn't, they don't go that far as Peter did in a previous example, but they still just don't get it. But Christ bears with them. He is patient. Love is kind. Think about Christ's life and who he cared for. He rebuked those who oppressed the, who oppressed the poorest and the most sorrowful amongst us while caring for the oppressed, while caring for the least. I think it was last week where we had the, wid- the widow come in and spill the oil over his feet, or not the widow, the, the sinful woman, and-, and care for him. But he rebukes the Pharisee who didn't care for him in the same way. This is kindness. It's caring for those least and t- looking out for them and standing up when truth is violated. Does not envy or boast. Isaiah 52, 7 reads, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, and yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb, he was led to the slaughter. Like a sheep that is before the shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. We turn to Acts and we learn that this is about Christ. That Christ went to his death without protesting, without anger, without saying, I am God incarnate. Don't do this to me. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter without protest. It is not arrogant or rude. Think about his birth in the manger. Think about his triumphal entry. His triumphal entry on the, on the back of a base animal. On the back of a donkey. Not on some stallion riding in as though he's to conquer the city. He entered humbly, does not insist on his own way. This morning in um, Christian education, by by providence, I think, not happenstance, by providence, we read through this very passage. But but Philippians 2, 6 through 8 talks of Christ's humility. Christ, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself, taking a form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death upon the cross. Christ humbled himself. Christ did not insist upon his own way. He's not irritable or resentful. While we were yet sinners, Romans tells us, Christ died for us. God did not resent you and I in our sin, but came to rescue us. Does not rejoice in wrong. Think of that which Christ rebukes. Think of Christ in the temple seeing what was going on as people stole money from the poor so that they might make sacrifice. In the temple, this exchanging of money, Christ was angered. 
but Christ rejoiced in the truth. Matthew 5, 8, 5, 18 in the Sermon on the Mount reminds us that Christ, in Christ not one jot or tittle of the law was put away, but it was completed in him. Christ rejoiced in the law as no other could. Love all things. In lo- love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Christ has endured all things that we might live. Christ was born, Christ has borne our sins and cast them as far away to the deepest part of the ocean or the most remote part of the desert. Our sins have been borne by him and they are gone. Perhaps in this you feel the burden of some sin as we enter into Lent. Perhaps you feel some shame of some past deed. Perhaps you struggle day in and day out with something. My friends, Christ has taken this from you. Christ has loved you and Christ has borne these things. So my friends, what is love? According to St. Paul, it's not an emotion. It is Christ. And Christ is calling the Corinthians to be, and Paul is calling the Corinthians to be like Christ, to love like Christ, to mimic Christ. What do you prize the most in this world? Your accomplishments? Your wisdom? Some gift that God has given you, perhaps you're really good at something. Paul tells us a hard truth. These things will pass. Whatever it is that you prize the most will pass. And that can be hard to hear. But what will eternity be like? The love of Christ will be fully realized. The love we experience when we know Christ and abide in him will be completed. We will return to the garden and live as we were supposed to live. We will live not in disunity, not in discord, but we will live in love in love for one another, in love that does not prioritize our own needs over others, but prioritizes one another. That is the beautiful promise. And then Paul goes on, and it seems weird. He's talking about children and mares, and what are we supposed to do with all of that? I think Paul here is subtly saying, my friends, love, Christian love, love that mimics Christ, that is maturity. This selfishness, this bickering over the Lord's table, this coming to the Lord's table drunk, this, these rivalries that you have between yourselves, you're children. But come and be like me. And think about Paul a little bit. He can talk about this because he knew what it was to hate. If we go back to Acts 7, we read of the martyrdom of St. Stephen, the proto-martyr or first martyr. And it's a bit of a fascinating story, but it ends with this man kind of standing over and I think holding everybody's cloak and approving of what is going on, saying, go on, throw those stones harder. That's our introduction to Paul. 
Paul hated the body of Christ. And now Paul knows what it means to be in Christ, that it transforms you and makes you into Christ's likeness. It makes you to love one another. As we grow in our love for Christ, we grow in our love for one another. So he subtly asks this question, are you living as a child? Are you living for eternity? Are you living in the maturity that puts others before yourself? And why is this love so important? Of course, it is important that as we are transformed by the Holy Spirit, we become more like Christ. It is important that as we grow in the love of Christ, we grow in loving one another. But there's something else here. As Jesus is going, as Jesus is preparing his disciples for his death and resurrection, he tells them, by your love, they will know you. If we love well, our witness to the world will be that of love, will be that of unity in the midst of so much discord. <clears throat> our witness will say that Christ's love has transformed. This week, as I mentioned, we are entering into our Lenten journey. And St. Paul ends with this little verse. So now faith, hope, and love abide. All, these, all three, but the greatest of these is love. As we enter, lo- enter into faith, we are trusting that Christ, or enter into Lent, we are trusting in faith that Christ will grow us, that Christ will help us to trust God all the more. As we enter into Lent, we hope that our sins will be mortified, that our sins will be destroyed, crushed, thrown as far away from us as the East is from the West. And we're learning love. If we do any of these things, if we go through the liturgy, if we come to the Lord's table, if we pray the Lord's prayer, if we do Lent as just something rote that we have to go through and have not love, it is a clinging gong. All our disciplines, as good as they might be, Lenten or otherwise, are to form us to be like Christ are to form us to know Christ. And in that, it's forming our hearts to love well. The back side of your card, I got a little bit too clever probably on it, but here we are. I have four things for you to think about this week as we enter into Lent, and then to think about as you continue through the discipline of Lent. My, my cleverness is that I, I spelled out Lent, in case you didn't notice. So it's a let go, engage, new start, and think. Let go would be to prayerfully consider if there are any sins that the Lord is calling you to mortify. That is, are there any sins that the Lord wants to help you crush by the power of the Holy Spirit? Engage, prayerfully consider if there are any ways that the Lord is calling you to grow, do you need to read Holy Scripture more? Do you need to pray more? Should you be in church more? 
new start. Pray for revival, but pray that that revival starts in you. That Christ renews in you your heart, that you may reflect him more. And think. Reflect daily whether your Lenten discipline has been done in love or not. And if in that reflection and prayer you find that it has not been, be quick to repent. So, my friends, let us go forth into this Lenten season not with pride, but with humility. Not with a desire to prove ourselves, but a desire that we would grow in love for the Lord, in love for one another, and in love for our neighbors. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen.